Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person find a life full of freedom and purpose through Jesus. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. I just want you just for a moment to picture, I need you to get this mental image in your mind of your favorite food. Not restaurant, not grandma cooking it for you at home, whatever, like, no, just your favorite food, not your favorite meal or your favorite restaurant, your favorite food. So one that comes to mind, this is pretty universal, is pizza. And what I love about pizza is, let's be honest, pizza is pizza, is it not? I mean, I get, there's different variations, there's different levels of quality, but I don't care if it's a frozen pizza, if it's a go to Papa Murphy's, make it in front of you, take it home and bake it kind of pizza, if it's Papa John's, Domino's, whatever, or if it's something upscale like Lily's downtown, which is one of my favorite here in Durham, pizza is pizza. Am I right? Am I, we're in agreement, right? One of mine and Brooke's favorite types of pizza or places to go get pizza is Ruckus Pizza, and specifically the white pizza, the white pie. It's amazing. It's like eight different kinds of cheeses and garlic and oil, and it's just amazing. It's delicious. Now, we love going to the restaurant to eat it, but I'm not discriminatory towards pizza. I'll get it however, I'll take it however I can get it. Again, I don't care if it's frozen, if it's Blaze Pizza, Bricks. Come on, all your different favorite. I don't care. I don't care. But let me be honest with you. Pizza is at its best, at its best, y'all, the next morning. That's when it's at its best. When it's, when it's sat in the refrigerator, not refrigerated, just the refrigerator. When it's sat in the refrigerator uh, all night. I don't know if something, like, if like these magic gnomes come. Like, I don't know if Dobby, right, shows up and like does his little magic. It's like the, all the flavor just soaks into it. And it's just so Good love. Uh, pizza is at its best the next morning. And it, I equate that to love. And if you think about it, it's not hard to make that connection. Like pizza is love. Am I right? Like it is. And there's different times that we've experienced love in different ways, in different um, formats, and in different people. And, and there's certain moments and certain levels that love is better at than others. And that's really what we began this sermon with, the series last week, with understanding and unpacking Love and when love is at its best, and I'll just review it very quickly. Number one, love is at its best when we seek. That comes from Matthew 5, when seek first the kingdom of God. And really that whole principle is understanding that it's not this compartmentalizing, list-checking type of like relationship. And I know that really messes with you type A people because you like your list and your checklist. But it's, a, it's not about seeking God first and then all these things. But it's about seeking God in the, in, in the midst of all these things. So I don't just seek God first by coming to church on Sunday. I don't just seek God first by waking up and giving him the first part of my day. Like, that's all great. You should do those things. But it's about seeking God in my relationships, how I interact with my children, how I treat people on the way to work and at work, and every customer that I interact with while I'm at work, right? And then on the way home from work and all that traffic, like it, it matters. I have to seek God first. Not just God then, but God in. Secondly, love is at its best when we share. Pizza is best when we share it, right? Like I'm all about these individual like blaze and bricks and all that. That's great. I enjoy going to make my own personal pizza. And then like four bites later, it's gone. But there's just something about getting your family together or getting your friends together at your house or at the actual restaurant and getting the largest size pizza you can get and just sharing the pie together. It's at its best when it's shared. Love is intended to be shared. 
And lastly, love is at its best when we serve. Love is at its best when we serve. Which is really the whole premise of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, which is kind of the passage that we're just sitting down in throughout this series. It's a passage that gets read at every single wedding ceremony I've ever been to, right? Probably, if you're married, you probably had it used at yours. Nothing wrong with that. But the aim for this series is that we wouldn't just recite this passage as part of our ceremony, but that we would model this in our life, in our relationship. And here's how I want to say it. I want you to write it down and, and remember it. Love is at its best when we allow the one who designed it to define it. Love is at its best when we allow the one who designed it to define it. Here's how he did that. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. We read it last week. I'm going to read it again. But I'm going to ask you this time to pay special attention to verses 7 and 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with truth. Now here's the focus for today. It always protects. We're going to come back to that at the end of the message to just remember it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. So if I had the opportunity to sit across from you and share with you a couple things that I think would make your marriage thrive. So we just had another couple in our church get engaged yesterday. Let's give it up for Austin Wright and Serena Bowdy. Come on. Austin, you can't see him. He's back here. But he pretty much makes every video that we've ever done at the church. And Serena is normally holding and loving on babies in the nursery. Curly hair, you can't miss her. They've been dating for a couple years now. I've known them even longer than that. They were in our youth ministry. So we've had the honor and privilege to be a part of their life for many, many years. And he just asked me in our little huddle before service if I would do the honors of marrying them, officiating their wedding. So, of course, that was huge. I said, yes, definitely would do that. And so I'm going to pretend like I'm sitting down with them right now going through premarital counseling. Okay, and you're going to get to hear all of it. Now, if, if you're uh, on the, the front side of maybe you're single or you're not married yet, then this is going to be great. If you are married, this is still going to be great because you can go home and practice, put these things into practice today if you're not already doing them. And the first thing is this. I would tell you if I had the opportunity to share a couple of things that I believe would make your marriage thrive is that you put Jesus at the center, not just putting him first. And I get it, you've already said that, Josh, yeah, I'm going to keep saying it, because everything is built on this principle. This has to be the foundation. He has to be the center of your relationship, of your finances, of how you parent, of how you treat each other. Remember, I said love is at its best when we serve. We're pretty selfish by nature, so therefore we need a, we need a higher authority than ourself if love is going to be able to serve and not be self-serving. The only way that's accomplished is if Jesus is at the center, not just Jesus first. Psalms 27 says, unless the Lord builds the house, then the workers labor in vain. Can we just declare here today that our marriage or our future marriage, or uh, this is for any relationship you find yourself in. Friends, family, co-workers, people you interact with on the aisle of a grocery store. Let's just allow this to define us. Let's, let's allow the one who designed relationships to define them and the only way we do that is if we place him at the center if we allow him to build our life and God will put my trust in you right we just sang that song what if it wasn't just a song but it was a declaration for us here today 
Because he invented the process, right, of human interaction. He knows our wiring. He knows everything about you and every other person to ever live on this earth. If he invented all of it, why would we not allow him to define that process? It's something that's always confused me, how believers, especially in the South, will trust God for the eternal, eternity, which, which is forever. <laughs> right? after, after we're dead and gone and we're no longer breathing and our heart is no longer pumping, there is still something left that lasts forever. It's infinite. And we trust God with that. Like I don't want to spend that infinite time in, in, in torment and in hell. I'd rather spend it in paradise with you, Jesus. But this life here, which seems so large right now, but in the constraints of time, it's but a grain of sand. It's, it's about this right, much right here. We want to define this part. We want control of this. We want to dictate this. We trust God with all of that. Why won't we allow him to be a part of the process here? Must put him center, not just first, not just Sunday, not just your devotion time in the mornings, but your entire interactions within the day. It's a good practice to get into. The second thing I would tell you is you have to celebrate your differences. And so we spend a lot of time specifically in our series, uh, Known and Loved, which you can find on our podcast if you missed them. Talking about our image and our identity in God and from God. We know that in Genesis, he created both man and woman in his image. Now, those images are different. Brooke possesses things that I don't possess, right? And I have things that she doesn't have, both internally and externally. But what we learned throughout that series is that while I have my purpose and I have my image and I have my identity, and she has hers, us together fulfills and completes the full image of God. But we are very different. In fact, yesterday, I'm in a shirt and shorts. She is in sweatpants and a, and a hoodie and a blanket begging me to turn the air up. Like, I'm sweating. She's freezing. When she wants to spend, save, I want to spend. Right? When, when, when I want to discipline the kids, she wants to give them grace or vice versa. We're very different. Very rarely are we on the same page. I told you last week we don't ever watch TV together, mainly because she cheated on me like three years ago by watching episodes of a show that we were watching together, and she watched them without me, but I'm not bitter at all, right? But we don't have the same taste in almost anything. She likes vanilla ice cream. I want all the Baskin-Robbins flavors in one bowl, right? Like she's just, we're just different, and that's okay. It's completely okay because I've learned to celebrate our differences, and she has as well. And thank God she's not like me. Because then we would never get anything done. Right? We would never make any progress. Thank God she compliments my weaknesses and vice versa. And this isn't just a, spy, a spouse to spouse. This is a people to people. You have different. Daniel has a different skin color than me. He's got different experiences than me. His family did things in different traditions than I did. But that doesn't make us against one another. Right? No, no, no. We, we should. It excites me to learn what he went through and, and his life experiences and vice versa. I'm going to celebrate our differences, and that's kind of a people principle, not just a spouse-to-spouse principle, but it's a very good thing to bring into your marriage to understand that you're not working up against one another. You are intended to complement one another. Here's what happens, though, sadly, is what used to attract us now attacks us. Here's what I mean by that. If you've been together for any amount of time, you used to love the spontaneous, unplanned 
pick up, get in the car, go late night to a movie, to the beach, whatever. Spontaneity was what drew you together. Now you look at them, you're the most disorganized, you're a procrastinator, you, know, you, got, you lose your keys five times a day. Now it bothers you, but it, but it attracted you to begin with. But what, what was removed was the intentionality and the appreciation of it. Now secretly resentment has, has grown into that. We have to be able to celebrate our differences. Here's another example. Brooke is not me. But whether it was intentional or not, a lot of the same expectation and pressure that has been placed on me as your pastor has been transferred to her. But you can't expect out of her the same thing you expect out of me because she's not me. She doesn't have my gifting. She doesn't have my passion. She doesn't have my level of comfortability. But guess what? She's got her own passions and her own calling and her own comfortability. And she leads in love the way that she was created to lead in love. She shouldn't have the same expectations that, I, that, that you guys have on me. She's not going to get up here and preach every Sunday. She'll preach when she feels the need to, when God calls her and leads her to do it. But if she cannot hold the microphone ever again, she probably would never touch it. But just because she's a pastor's wife, there's a certain expectation that comes with that, right? But she completes me. She does things, she notices things, and she, she invests into things on levels that I don't, or I don't see, or I miss. That's why we complement each other so well. Learn to celebrate your differences. The next thing I would say is work, 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 work on your communication. This is something that you never achieve and then you're done with. Like you never hit a certain status, standard, and now you're good. This is something you have to continually work on. Why? Because you and your life, the life around you is consistently and constantly evolving and changing. We have more access to things than we've ever before. We, we are constantly involved in something or reading something or engaged in something or doing something or going somewhere. Like we are all, we are so busy. We are so, so busy. And as a result of that, studies say that the average married couple spends less than four minutes a day in meaningful conversation. Now, if you're married, I get some of you that aren't quite there yet. You're like, man, that's so far away. That's not going to be me. That's not going to be us. I said the same thing. And I read that, and I was like, that's crazy. But then I started looking, like taking inventory of my own life. And I'm like, well, when you think about it, in this phase of life right now, Brooke gets up before I do. By the time that I get up, the kids are getting up, and we're getting them ready, or she's already getting them ready, packing their bags. They're out the door going to school. By the time that she gets back, I'm gone, going to work. By the time that I get off, off work, either the kids are back home or she's on the way back home with them from school, hang out with them, do dinner, do baths, that whole thing. They're in bed. By that point, she's exhausted. We may spend a few moments together. She goes to bed. I stay up later than her normally because I'm like, whoo, finally, I can have some me time. Therefore, I stay up later. Therefore, I go to bed later. Therefore, I don't get up as early as she does. And we just, I was like, wow, it's probably got some merit to it. The average woman spends, speaks 30,000 words a day. The average man speaks 15,000. Mine and Brooke's problem is I usually use up my 15,000 before I get home. She normally saves her entire 30,000 until I get home. If I was sitting in front of you right now giving you two things, if you're about to get married, I would say, hey, fellas, when you're going through wedding planning, just learn this motion right here. Okay, it'll make it so much easier. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yes. Okay, and then learn this phrase, and it will, it, will, it will change everything for you. Learn this phrase. Here it is right here. And then what happened? 
Just learn that phrase right there and repeat it often. And then what happened? Uh-huh. And then what happened? But for real, we have to work on our communication. I looked at my phone when I was just going through this. And I realized how many different channels of communication I have just on my phone. Our team utilizes GroupMe, which is just a, an app that houses group chat, separate than your iMessage and message thread, kind of keep it separated and organized. So we have a, an overall dream team chat that's kind of just general, and then every individual team has their own chat, because you don't want to flood the general chat with something that's just pertinent to kids. So there's like five channels in and of the, them themselves, and then uh, I have several friends and hobby groups in there. And then I have Marco Polo with a couple circle of friends. And Marco Polo is like the adult version of Snapchat. It's just an extended video. Out like idiots. It's awesome. Right, so I have that. And then, of course, email, your standard text message. Uh, now I'm working at the YMCA, and they have their own work chat app. And so I have like five or six communication threads that I am involved in daily. And I'm consistently, I just had a meeting this past week, conversation on how we can improve communication on our team and with individuals and leaders and blah, blah, blah. But then I realized, when's the last time I sat down with Brooke and tried to figure out how we can improve our communication? We don't. Not until we get frustrated with one another and something boils over or something that compiles and, and packs up and then all of a sudden it blows up and you're like, well, you don't ever talk, you can't read your mind and all these things that we say when we're really upset. When if we would just improve our communication, 99% of our issue, in fact, every argument we've ever had really has centered around lack of communication. We have to always work on that. Brooke and I, most weeks now, at least since we launched this church, once a week we sit down and we have a, like a legit communication conversation. And centered around a couple things, our finances and our calendar. What's coming up this week, what bills need to be paid, how we're looking on budget, how much did Josh spend when he wasn't supposed to spend, things like that. You need to stop drinking coffee so much, things like that. But we have that because when we don't have those things, things get missed, frustration seeps in, and that leads to an issue. Breakdown of communication is 90% of the relational friction that we feel, not just with our spouse, but with our friends, with our teams, our employers. Work on your communication. The last thing, I, or not the last thing, the second to the last thing would be this. You have to feed the fire of romance and intimacy. I'm going to do an entire sermon on sex and intimacy later. So let me just hit it right here and we'll, we'll move on. If you're not married yet or you're about to get married, you're engaged, this is this not going to be an issue for you. If you've been together for a couple years, it's probably the biggest issue you have between you. There's no intimacy. There's no romance. The only thing I'm just going to say is it's not the fireplace's fault if the wood burns out and the fire dies out. Like you have to place wood on it. By design, it will burn up. And when you were dating, when you were engaged, when you first got married, intentionality wasn't an issue. Romance wasn't an issue. But all of a sudden, you, other, you get busy, things happen, you get involved in too many things, you say yes to too many things. And, and a lot of times, it's not even a direct choice not to be intimate. You just, for like guys, you're, you're giving out so many different sources. By the time you get home, you have nothing left to give. Moms, ladies, you're doing the same thing. Those, I have, we have so many stay-at-home moms at our church right now. I've stayed at home with my kids before. I know how zapping and energy, you're constantly getting pulled on, get this, fill this up, change this, do this. By the time I get home, Brooke's done. There's nothing left to give. 
and that cycle that continues will burn up. You have to continue to feed the fire. Simply, here's the principle I want to give, and then we'll move on, because again, this is going to be a whole sermon in itself. Intentionality leads to intimacy. Intentionality leads to intimacy. I'm not here to tell you what your, other, what your spouse enjoys. That could be as simple as having a meaningful conversation. That could be a date night. It could be flowers. It could be a love letter. It could be a date. It could be a night away from the kids. Fellas, right? Ladies, same thing. It, 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 it can be very simple. What I'm not here to tell you is to tell you, here's the five things you should do. No, no, you should have a conversation with your spouse. If you haven't discovered those things already, most of us already know. But once you do know, just acting on those things. Because love is at its best when we serve. That's serving. Putting aside what I want for what you want. Because a lot of times that gives me what I want anyway. Come on. All right. All the married people said amen. All right. So last thing, this is really where we're going to spend the next few minutes. The most important thing next to making Jesus center is to make a covenant commitment to one another. Or you, if you are married, this is what you did whether you knew it or not. You, you entered into or you should enter into a covenant commitment with the other person, not a contract. And here's the deal about commitment, right? You only need commitment when, when you don't want to do something. So I mentioned a few weeks ago that I was really going to try to give myself over to discipline and eating better and working out. And I, and I did it great for about two and a half weeks. And then all of a sudden the inconvenience of it set in. And we were going out of town for Memorial Day and our anniversary. And it was our anniversary, but we got to eat all this chocolate, you know, chocolate, 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 anniversary, celebrating all you. Making all the excuses in the world. And now here I am, back to where I was when I started the month. I need commitment because there's days I don't want to do it. You need a covenant commitment in your marriage because there's days you're not going to want to do it. For some of you, it's not days, it's weeks. It's not weeks, it's months, even years. That's why we need a covenant commitment. I made a commitment that last month I was going to stop going through the drive-thru. And I did. I parked and I walked in instead. And I, you know, I made that commitment and put that discipline in my life. You know why, you know why, honestly, God, why everything changed? Convenience. We were so busy. I was going here and there, everywhere. It was convenient just to stop. We had had long days. It's convenient just to pick up and go eat somewhere rather than stay home and cook. Convenient. And the number one thing that kills intimacy and relationships is, is convenience. If you're calling me, if you're checking in on me, if you're, if you're initiating all the contact and hanging out, it's easy. If I ever have to do any of that, well, that's inconvenient. Because now I have to text, call, plan. Now I have to choose to do something. I have to choose to humble myself to serve you. Convenience. The Old Testament, the entire Old Testament, is a consistent picture of you and me trying to define God's design on our own and failing. Start in Genesis, read it all the way to Malachi, and you will see this repeated theme over and over and over. My plan over God's plan. And when we get to Malachi, which is the very last book, like literally if you go to Malachi chapter 2, which is what I'm about to read to you, just a few pages later, you're, you're in Matthew. And Malachi paints this pretty horrific, terrible picture 
of just how bad of shape humanity was in. It says in verse 13, another thing that you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. Now, what, that's not saying that you're running away from God. That's saying, no, 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 you're, you're choosing to do it your way, and you're still showing up to church. And you feel the guilt, and you feel the weight, and you feel the shame, and you feel the failure, and you feel everything to the point where it's making you cry out to me. You know the way. You're choosing to do it your way. You know the way, but you're choosing to ignore. You're flooding my altar with your tears. You weep and you wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings. Talking about God. Or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. Why? Why? You ask why? Why is this? It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. And you've been unfaithful to her. And though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. There's that word covenant. Has not the one God made you? Verse 15. You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. What he, what he means by that is when you choose to define your relationships based on how you define them, you do pain, not, you don't realize all the pain you're doing to all those around you, especially your children. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. Look at this. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, does violence to the one that he should protect. Says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Does violence to the one you were intended to protect. In 1 Corinthians, God's definition of love is love protects. And that's why every relationship, every marriage needs someone who can be there for the other on their worst day. When, when you make your vows and you say to honor, that's what it means. To honor is when you have the opportunity to expose, but you protect and cover up. In your relationships, you have plenty of opportunity to expose what is wrong and what you think the other person should do and how they should change. But love protects. Doesn't mean you're not honest. Doesn't mean that you don't present change. One of the things that Brooke and I do, not every time we have that meeting, but sometimes is we'll come to that conversation knowing that that is a great opportunity for you to voice something that you would like to see done differently. Instead of doing it in the moment when you're frustrated and it's not done, after you've passed by the laundry basket 18 times and the clothes are next to the basket, not in the basket, right? Like, when you do that and you erupt, not a great way to, to voice your change. But ultimately, the covenant commitment on the days that I don't want to do it, on the days when you don't deserve my love, on the days that you don't deserve grace and forgiveness, my covenant commitment to you is that I cover it up and I offer you forgiveness. And I offer you grace. And I protect you. Why? How, why would you say that? Because that's what Jesus did for you. You have no right to stand in front of anyone and withhold forgiveness and grace and protection and love. And then ex blindly accept God's love and grace for you. We offer out of what we first have received. Which maybe is the starting point for so many of us in this room. We haven't really truly received the full measure and full weight of God's love and grace in our life. Jesus is saying to you today, 
This is the kind of covenant that I want to enter into with you. That my love and my grace covers you. It always protects, right? 1 Corinthians 13. It always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. That's the love that I want to offer you. In fact, Jesus defined it, right? He designed it. This is how he's defining it. Luke 22, verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, talking about the last supper, moments before he's led away to be beaten and crucified, he took the cup saying, the cup is the new covenant. There's that word, in my blood. Covenant, blood. Blood, covenant. Get that in your mind. Which is poured out for you. Blood, covenant is how Jesus chooses to define the love and the relationship, not that he just has for us, but that we should have for one another, specifically our spouse. Have you ever noticed in your own life how much easier it is to be faithful to those that you are blood related to? You know they're wrong, you know they're crazy, but you defend them, you will side with them, you will choose them over and over and over. Why? Because you are linked together by the blood that flows through your veins. There's a connection there. That's where you get... The, the phrase, blood is thicker than water. You know it, right? I've seen so many people, that will, parents, that will go to the ends of the earth for their children. I feel the same way. There's not a thing in this life I wouldn't do for my kids. I guarantee you, Luke, holding that brand new baby girl, it's like, I, 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 I'm, already, I'm already thinking about the guys. I'm going to mess them up. Like, I know. Like, I know. Like, there's nothing I wouldn't do. She's blood of my blood. Right? They're mine. Oh, my spouse? She like came into the family. Like she's, she's not even that whatever, right? We view it that way, whether we would say it or not. My kids could do anything in this world, and I would still love them and defend them and choose them. Anything. But because my spouse is, we're not connected that way, she's more disposable. We choose our kids 99, 100% of the time. But it's so easy for us to write the spouse off because we're not linked by blood unless you are. And I'm not talking about the old school, cut your hands together, touch them, right? I'm not talking about that. That would probably not be good for you to do that. I'm talking about the blood of Jesus over your life. When you stand before the preacher and you say those words, you are placing yourself under the authority of God and his word and his covenant, the blood covenant. Let me show you real, just very quickly the difference between covenant and contract. A covenant commitment is a mutual commitment to serve. I, but have you ever looked at a contract? you ever signed a contract before? You know what you won't find in a contract? Any terms or language about what happens to you when you do these things. Only thing that's in a contract is what happens when you don't do these things. Marriage is not intended to be that way. Well, everything is good as long as you do X, Y, and Z. And believe me, I'm keeping score. I'm keeping a track. I took the trash out, but you ain't washed the dishes yet. No, no, no. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't keep score. We're not in a contract. Our love isn't conditional. It's based on covenant. Covenant surrenders rights and it assumes responsibility. 
not about you serving me. It's about me serving you. That's the relationship I really have with you guys. My position is to serve you. It's not about preaching. It's not about this cool platform. It's not about getting invited to go speak at conferences and churches. Those things are cool. I gave my life to Jesus to give my life to you. That's what a husband is called to do. To love his wife as Christ loved the church. He surrenders rights, it assumes responsibilities, and covenant commitment enters into that covenant in the interest, with the interest of others in mind. Contracts only care about the personal investment. What's in it for me? What am I getting out of this? We're called to enter into a covenant, not a contract. Now, if you're like me, I kind of feel it in the room like, oh, my gosh, I agree with this. I, love, I really like this. That's an impossible standard to live up to. I can't do it. You're right. You can't. Nor can I. But what I get to share with you over the next two minutes is, is how we step into that, how we grow into that, how we invite this kind of love to permeate ourselves and our marriage and the relationships around us. The first thing is this. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice. I know it's your song, I know it's your favorite spot, I know it's the butterflies and all that. that. All of that is a byproduct of the choice you made to get in the car, to go to the date, to sit down in front of them, to have the conversation. Love is a choice, not a feeling. We looked at that last week, agape love. It's not about the feeling that when you drive by and you see the hot now sign on at Krispy Kreme, like that, that's our spontaneity kind of love. Something, you see something and it's like, oh, I love that. No, agape love is I choose to love even when you don't deserve love. That's exactly what God did for us. And it's the same love that he calls to be present. Listen, he, he demands that it is present in your relationships. His love demands agape love. Colossians 3.14 says, over all these virtues, over all these virtues, Here's what binds them together in perfect unity. Love. Love. The last thing is this. This is the key. My capacity to love comes from first receiving God's love. My capacity to love my wife. My capacity to love my children. My capacity to love people. To love you. To love this city increases and grows, as does my capacity to receive God's love. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. So here's my prayer for you. I'm going to ask you to stand up where you are just for a moment, if you would. Here's my prayer for you today. It comes from Ephesians. This is my prayer for your life. This is my prayer for your marriage. This is my prayer for your relationships. As God would increase your capacity to receive his love. Let me just say this and then I'll read the scripture and pray. No one in this room can sit down with you and tell you what is in the way of you receiving the full measure of who God is. 
But I would bet that you could name it. You could point to the moment. You could point to the season of life. You could name the people that has constructed this wall between you and this so-called father who loves you immeasurably more than you could ever imagine. I can't sit down and tell you, but you probably could tell me. I'm, I'm not asking you to go out and love your wife better today. I'm not asking you to go out and love your husband better today. Or your kids. Or the people around you. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to go out and learn how to be loved by God more. The byproduct of that is all these things we've talked about. So here's my prayer for you. And as you walk out and you go on this journey, I need you to know you're not on this journey by yourself. I know it feels that way. The enemy wants you to believe that you are. We do this every week. We're not, this auditorium isn't packed. We'll be here next week though. We'll be here the week after that. And if it dwindles down to just the front row, I'll, I'll be here. With the hope and the intention and, and prayer that relationship is formed so that this, our relationship and our leader's relationship is no longer me looking at you. It's, it's us walking side by side in this life together. Because guess what? I've got things in my life that still prevent me from receiving things that God has for me. Things that make me not trust. Things that make me doubt. Things that make me insecure. I have to work through these things. As do you. So here's my prayer from Ephesians. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts. Living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all of God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves. Though it is so great that you will never see the end, or fully know or understand it. And so at last you will be filled up with God himself. Thank you for listening. Join us each week here on the pod or live in Durham. Keep up with us by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Rescue Church NC.